Welcome <sighs> back <sighs> to Dime Gaming Bros Podcast, where it is both co-hosts, I guess, uh, Spencer and Jacob. I'm Jacob. Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm not Jacob. Uh, no, you're not. Uh, but we are both very, very tired. Apparently, well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I work second shift, and this is like trying to wake up at four in the morning and talk and and be coherent. So I don't know what you did last night, but you're less awake than I am. So, I did you last night. <laughs> this is going to be a very fun episode. It's already been canceled a couple times. <laughs> it's been great. Yeah. Wicked fucking exciting, bud. We're 55 Ooh, seconds in this Spicy. episode, and your <laughs> New England has come out already. <laughs> oh, yeah, bud. Dude, bub guy. Dude, bub guy. <laughs> I, I break dude, bub guy out every once in a while. People Just, don't even notice half no, the time. No, they don't. It's amazing. Uh, speaking of, I should go to Dunks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave. <laughs> 20 minutes while you talk and then come back. <laughs> Prove it. So last episode, I said that I was going to talk about God of War from 2018. Liar! It. <laughs> I had the paragraph set up to make it seem like I'm going to review it. God damn it. You sneaky, sneaky son of a bitch. Uh, it takes 25 to 50 hours to beat, depending on how completionist you are. And, uh, despite having started playing it a month or two early, Destiny laughed at my plans and decided I could not cover that game this month. It's not fun having to pack all the way to PlayStation. So do you mean Destiny no. as in... The, the Hateful <laughs> X? No, I don't. Oh, so it's your stripper girlfriend. No, it is life, the universe, and everything. I don't know, man. Destiny is a girl's name. That's like that's like a stripper name. Oh, it's definitely a stripper's name. You've been distracted. Ollie Ollie World launched on every common system, PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, and PC in 2022. It is developed by Roll7 and is the third Ollie Ollie game in the series. The story is uh, you create a character that is on their way to becoming a shredding skateboarding god. Surrounded by a couple of special friends, if you know what I mean. Colin kind of special, if you know what I mean. Uh, (laughs) That are full of personality and encouragement for you to become the greatest. You work your way through five different regions of Radlandia, meeting each region's god to achieve Narvana. Each region has a line of levels. Imagine uh, Super Mario Brothers. Um, each with their own unique challenges. Beat it in one life. Uh, beat the three local heroes. Uh, um, Etc. Some levels have side quests, which usually means that there's a hidden route to take to meet someone, and it unlocks a, a challenge level. Uh, uh, all of these, all of these challenges unlock a special reward. Uh, each region is thematic in its visual design and what the game is trying to teach you for new moves. 
That leads me straight into the visuals of this game. This game is super vibrant and colorful. Bright colors help to subconsciously understand what terrain is coming up quickly, be it a ramp, a pipe to grind stairs, crystals to smash, etc. Later in the game, there are alternate routes you can take via a lane change, and that can lead to some crazy level designs. It gets a little complicated and distracting when there are several routes visible in the foreground and background, and you are concentrating on your chosen route. Back to the character's design, the basics are easy, like hairstyle, eyes, and so on, but every level offers an unlockable outfit or skateboard option to get by beating challenges or side quests, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, I really appreciated that the game didn't front load all of the unlockables at the beginning of the game. Right when I was creating my character, it slowly reveals what you have or can unlock as you progress through the game. These unlocks don't provide any benefit whatsoever except looking even cooler. Stats aren't changed like an RPG because there are no stats. For sound design, I finally have notes about sound design. I would argue it's vital to have the sound on for this game. There's so much importance in timing while you play. You have to press a button every time you land to stick the landing, and there's a gauge of how well you land. Uh, I think it's bad, good, and perfect, I'm pretty sure. It's the same for grinding a rail. You have to press the, uh, you have to push the left stick in one of the four directions, up, down, left, right. That will change what kind of grind it is, and you have to time it just right to try to get a perfect landing. The sound of your landing lets you know how well you landed. A bad landing starting a grind sounds like you are hurting the trucks of your board. It's a really rough while a perfect landing almost sounds like a balloon is being popped and it sounds smooth. It, it does a nice little pop to, to mm, I don't know. It, it's a, a, a brain worm. It makes, it sounds weird when I describe it, but it just, it scratches a little itch yeah. in the back of your brain. Yeah. And it goes, ah, that was perfect. You don't even have to see it. Uh, same with a regular landing. You can, uh, like not grinding a rail, but just landing on the ground. Uh, you can tell bad from good from perfect without taking your eyes off of what's coming up next. The soundtrack points out the interesting perspective of this game. The friends the main character hangs out with are caricatures of people. So hyper profiling for laws and it's not hurtful in any way. It's just like you got the big dumb jock. You got uh, uh, the the skateboarding wizard that's all Obi-Wan Kenobi and shit. Is there a big titty goth GF? I think they're underage. Damn it! FBI, open up! There's the ability for your character to dress however you want in an attempt to be open to gender barriers or whatever. You would think the game would go with the easy choice of skateboarders being a bunch of doomers into punk or hardcore, but the game is so bright and colorful, your friends are always encouraging you to become the next skate god. The soundtrack is very- What's it like to have encouraging friends? Shut up! <laughs> the soundtrack is very happy pop. 
<laughs> I don't know how I wrote all that in, in encouraging bullshit. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I listened to the punk and hardcore. I, we're doomers. I don't get it. While not really my preferred genre, it fits perfectly with the aesthetic. I love that it's balanced so that it doesn't invade the airwaves. It doesn't distract from playing the game. It just helps to fill the air so you aren't just hearing skateboard noises. It would feel empty if it was just the skateboard noises. Um, my one complaint is that it seems like the set list is the same every time. So you hear the same song every time you boot up the game. I'm not quite... 100% on that, but near the end of the game, I was hearing a lot of the same songs. And that's kind of a bummer, especially because I swear I saw that I was unlocking new songs while I progressed through the game. Huh. The left and right bumpers on the controller are mapped to go back or forward a, a song. So if you don't like the one you're on, you can just hit a bumper and it changes just like that. Ah, it's just like playing Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, where you can change the sea shanty with the D-pad. No, it's even better than that. It's <laughs> it's much easier than that. <laughs> to be fair, you couldn't go backwards in that game. I hated that. <laughs> I would always go past the one I wanted, and then I have to cycle through oh, like 40 no. songs. <laughs> I do remember that. I had a favorite. I don't remember which one it was. Well, I just own them all digitally now, so... No, no. Good for drinking. Oh, songs. I get it. Uh, speaking of buttons, the first thing this game tells you is that it's designed for a controller. To do a trick, you start the left stick in any of the four directions, and then rotate it around to varying degrees for different and more complex tricks. The right stick is used while you are in the air to grab the skateboard. Uh, I believe skateboarders call it a bend. Uh, the triggers are used to spin your character while in the air. The A button is used for landings or to speed up. Y is to start your run over again at the last checkpoint or to start it over completely, uh, especially so that you could do the whole run in one life because that's always its own challenge. It sounds simple, and the game takes its time teaching you all these mechanics, but it gets very, very complicated trying to time everything right, trying to chain all of your tricks together, trying to not crash and die. <laughs> it's possible to play through without using a bunch of the mechanics, like spinning with the triggers, um, but you need to use them to get... You need to use them all to get high scores and beat the local heroes. Ali Ali games are great in their design because the challenges increase in difficulty to the point that I can't 100% any of their games, but it's still so much fun to just play through and try to improve and feel like a super cool skateboarding dude, something I will never be in real life. Damn. In closing, I played the first two Ali Ali games on my PlayStation Vita a long, long time ago. Uh, besides my obvious bias for the Vita, it is my favorite console. Fight me! Uh, it really did feel like the perfect platform for these games. But can it play Mario? Yes. Okay, if you jailbreak it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the levels are short enough, you can knock a couple out real quick, put the system in your pocket, and continue on with your life. I would imagine that the Switch would be comparable 
just bigger than the Vita. I played this on PC, and I was wishing that I had it as a portable option. This game runs great, it looks great, it's a ton of fun, and it feels like a solid improve improvement from the last two games. They really put an attempt into a story in this one, and it feels <sighs> methodical, like with the regions and trying to teach you the mechanics in each region and the challenges are specific to those new tricks or whatever in that region. It, it's very orderly and it just feels more rounded out than the first two games. This game doesn't feel like it's just another Ollie Ollie game. It, it's a good improvement upon what they've already done. I got this game in a $12 Humble Bundle monthly um, month, and to my surprise, they threw in the season pass with it. So it's usually 18 bucks on Steam by itself, and I think it is totally worth that price. From InsiderGaming.com. Oh, we're doing the news now? Whoa. Whoa, I know. They call that a transition. On a Giant Bomb podcast, Game Mess Mornings, Jeff Grubb launched into a conversation about Marvel's Wolverine, offering up several key pieces of information. Firstly, he started the game will have an M for mature rating, which means it'll be violent. He stated that the game... What did I say? Started. Oh my god. I was like, he started playing the game? What? <laughs> Someone was said, uh, it, it's been making the round, someone said it'll have a hard R tone, and uh, <laughs> the internet's been having fun with that. Wolverine's probably said it with the hard R in his life a few times. He seems like the type. Wolverine? Y yeah, sure. Mm. He also explained that it will di feature dismemberment, making it one of the most violent Marvel titles in modern gaming. Furthermore, Grubb claimed that Marvel's Wolverine may not launch until 2025, but Insomniac is aiming for a fall 2024 window. And when it does launch, it'll boast a semi-open linear design. Wolverine was revealed during a PlayStation Showcase event in 2021, and originally it was reported reportedly targeting a launch date of fall 2024. Uh, so it sounds like God of War is the spell I'm getting off of it. Is semi-open but linear gameplay style that smells like a god of war-esque so i was thinking too 20 30 hour story with side quests type thing i'm still definitely looking forward to this i'm glad that they're not rushing it out particularly yes. with how long they've been waiting to finish spider-man 2 um that just makes sense that they're also developing them kind of side by side because that's supposed to be coming out late this year if i remember correctly I think the, the the marketing just started, so I, yeah, think it, I think it's a fall to a holiday for this year. That's a what f four year, something like four that. or five year wait. Yeah. So yeah. It, it definitely makes sense that they're that they're gonna chill out on their other game, especially because it's a, it's a different like gameplay loop than Spider Man. It's not like they can just reskin a game; like they have to build something up from scratch. Respawn Entertainment has delayed Jedi Survivor by six weeks. It is now releasing April 28th. Small delays are never a bad thing. Correct. This is fine. From MSN.com, 
Not a surprise, but certainly marking a victory for HBO, The Last of Us has been renewed for a second season. Shocker. The apocalyptic, apocalyptic drama starring Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey has been a smash hit out the gate. I'm humbled, honored, and frankly overwhelmed that so many people have tuned in and connected with our retelling of Joel and Ellie's journey, said executive producer Neil Druckmann. The collaboration with Craig Mazin, our incredible cast and crew, and HBO already exceeded my exceeded my already high expectations. Now we have the absolute pleasure of being able to do it again with Season 2. There's no official word yet on the creative plan for Season 2, but in The Hollywood Reporter's recent cover story, showrunners Druckmann and Mazin hinted that the show wouldn't waste time before delving into the storyline in The Last of Us Part 2 game. Uh, I don't like filler, as Mazin put it. So I have... I have an actual thought. I have a co cohesive thought. The discourse will be back. The Last oh, of Us 2 no. discourse will return. Somehow, <laughs> the discourse has started again. Um, it makes sense that they're not going to kill time because it's currently, we'll talk about that in a minute, it's kind of up in the air whether or not there's going to be a third game installment. It would make sense that they want to Give it probably there'll probably be a, a decent gap in real life between the two seasons, but it seems like they're just gonna roll right into it because Pedro Pascal is kind of already towards the age bracket of older Joel. Um, from Last of Us 2, he already kind of fits that a bit closer, which mm -hmm. is fine. Man's aging like a fine wine, but still, you know, he does he does look the part of mm -hmm. being how old is he? Mid 40s, 50. He's 50. <sighs> he fits so. It makes sense that they want to run into that. And then something I was actually concerned about for a half moment was I was thinking. That is concerning. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously the the uh the second game has a lot of has a lot of lesbians in it, correct? Correct. Um I didn't remember how old Bella Ramsey was because she looks very young, and that's why she pulls off the role so well. She's like she, 24, I think. She's 19. But the she's playing a character who's like 14, 15, question mark? Okay. It's kind of hard to gauge. She has a very young face. So yes. I was like, it's going to be interesting for them to navigate this because the time gap between the two games is part of what makes it impactful. Like, it's been, I think it's five years um, between the two games. And then there's a lot of... Just all the interpersonal stuff in the second game, I was like, are they going to be able to pull that off with such a short turnaround? Like, do we need to, you know, wait... A, a minute, but I think they might just. I uh, think they're 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 kind of dressing her down to look uh, yeah. even younger because even on the red carpet she say. still looks very young, but she's almost as old as I am. So that's what I was gonna say is that I've been paying attention to it. I had the same thought, and they are definitely putting a lot of work into dressing her down, as you said, to to make her look like she's fourteen. So uh, she pulls it off very well. Yep, she definitely comes across a little bit older than Game Ellie, which is fine. Yep. There's less of an annoyance factor there, for sure. Um, I was just—it was just a thought. I was like, "Wait a minute, how? That's gonna be—that's gonna be either harder on the filmmakers, or it's gonna be weird." But I mean, they kind of did the same thing with Joel and Tess too. I just finished episode three, and it goes back a lot of years, and uh, they look like I would assume they look in in real life. So they're, I think they're aging um, Pedro up. Maybe. For, for like the current day Last of Us, there's a lot more gray in his hair, Definitely. et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of hard to tell whether it's graying or dirty. <laughs> 
I think it's great. It's probably both. It's just it's just interesting. I just yes. had a thought, and I was like, oh boy, because I was I was thinking because you have to cast an Abby, and Abby is not young looking at all, which is fine. I don't fucking care. But I was thinking about the contrast between the two actors playing what will effectively be the two leads for the next season. <laughs> and they hinted at it in episode two, two. They were like, right. so is there a boy? And she's like, no. No. So it's like... So it, it'll it, be... It, it's going to be interesting. I was just... It was I think just, it'll be a lot smoother than people are Oh, guessing. probably. I just... I'm, I am actually kind of concerned about how they're going to frame season two. Is I saw some people saying that they should start off with like... So that... Have you played the full second game yet, or no? No. Okay. So I didn't even beat the first game. <laughs> effectively, you know Abby kills Joel, right? You know you know about all the... Ooh, oh, I did not know that. Okay, so long story short, I guess spoilers, it's been like I knew for a he few died, years. but I didn't know who did. Who so you it. know the end of the, the first game where Joel picks Ellie over saving the fucking world. You've probably heard about that. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> Joel has a protective dad moment. Where he actually makes the wrong choice and invalidates her wishes, and then that causes a big rift, and then yeah, we have a time jump. I see. So he's learning and all sorts of stuff, and she's distant, blah, blah. Um, one of the people that Joel kills at the scientific facility, you know, the whole point of the first game is getting her to people who can use her is, for the thing. And yes. she's like, I want to do the thing. And they're like, it will kill you, though. And she's like, that's fine. And Joel's like, no, fuck the world, you yeah. know. Um, okay. Yeah, so... One of the people that was there was Abby's dad. Ah. Like, so Abby is on this massive vengeance quest, but we don't know that. The game frames it in such a way that it's a, it's a. We go through a bunch of Ellie stuff, then we go to Abby, and then we get the beginning. So we basically we kill Joel, and then it's like, and flashback. Now you have to play as Abby for like ten hours. So it makes you hate the protagonist, and it's it's really effective. That's why the game is so polarizing. Like, hardcore. It's just the framing on the game is why the game works, in a way. So I'm I'm a little nervous about them rounding the corners too much to, to smooth it out and be like... Like, just leading in too early to... Like, it just, just undercutting the fact that she killed Joel and she was kind of right. And Joel was like... That was his arc, was like... I have lived my life, you know? I made a bad choice. It's coming back, you know? Like, whatever. It's just kind of... You get for a TV format, that's a thing you would be like, so we'll just straighten it out and make it all chronological, and it's like, that's gonna take away the impact a lot. After three episodes, though, they haven't done that at all. They've bucked that system, so I don't see that happening. It's just a concern I have. You never know. I'm hoping I'm wrong. Episode three just went back to... 12 years and told you a story about a couple that had very little to do with <laughs> it was like <laughs> it finished with like 30 seconds of and this helped Joel and, and Ellie yeah <laughs> so I, I, that was the, I, I don't just think, like so you see you see the, this codex injury yeah exactly here's a full episode <laughs> <laughs> have some more I don't see it happening I think they do good probably from VideoGamesChronicle.com, despite the franchise's commercial and critical success, Druckmann has claimed that Naughty Dog's parent company Sony would pressure the company into continuing the story of Ellie and Abby that was told in 2020's Last of Us Part 2. He told BuzzFeed, 
that if the studio can come up with a compelling story for part three and is passionate about the project, it will make it. If not, it might decide to move on from the series, like it has chosen to do with its other blockbuster franchise, Uncharted. I know there's a bunch of people wondering about The Last of Us Part 3 and whether that will be a thing or not, he said. All I could say is, at Naughty Dog, we are very, very privileged that our publisher is Sony, which means Sony funds our games, supports us, and we're owned by Sony. They have supported us every step of the way to follow our passions, meaning that just because something is successful, people think there's all this pressure and we have to make a sequel. That's not the case. For us, Uncharted was insanely successful, Uncharted 4 was one of our best-selling games, and we're able to put our final brushstroke on that story and say that we're done. We're moving on. Likewise with The Last of Us, it's up to us whether we want to continue it or not, he said. The balls on this guy. Over here. It's good. It's yes, nice. I like. If he's not lying, it's good. I like him, not his balls. Uh, yeah. Um... I like the things he's saying. Yes. Not his boss. Sony doesn't seem to be moving on from Uncharted, though, because it's <laughs> smelling like they they put another studio on, on a new entry. So that's interesting. I wasn't able to find a lot of anything beyond rumors on that one, but that I think we talked about like two months ago. There was like a job list, you know, the job listing leaking that a game is coming, and it's like, but it wasn't at Naughty Dog, and it's... Interesting. Yeah, so... Um, I mean, if they want to put the franchise in a slightly different direction and follow up on the characters we have left and, like, change the gameplay a bit, it would make sense to push it to another studio because Naughty Dog seemed a lot more involved in the storytelling than they were in the gameplay, just, yes. just the type of studio they are. So yes. it makes sense. From Crystal Dynamics to our amazing community of 10-year-olds, after two and a half years and introducing 12 of Earth's Mightiest Heroes, following update 2.8 on March 31st, 2023, we will no longer add new content or features to Marvel's Avengers. All official support for the game will end on September 30th, 2023. Even after official support ceases on September 30th, 2023, both single and multiplayer gameplay will continue to be available. So they're not going to be putting more man hours and money into a game that everybody hates. Wow. Yep. Shocker. Rip bozo. It's amazing that the freaking servers are staying online for a while. Yeah, I mean, can, they're probably downsizing them on the back end because the game, like the the numbers are so consistently low, they get their yeah. tiny spikes on new updates. So it would make sense. They're like, we can downsize like 30 to 20% server capacity and then shove it in the back closet. Yep. I don't remember how many other games Crystal Dynamics has on like like constant server update things. Like I don't I don't remember what their other like platforms look like right now. So they probably they might just have the storage hanging out. Cause this game was in development for so long for being a piece of shit. But it was in development for a long time. So it makes sense that they just have storage space. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Rip Bozo, congrats. Maybe it'll be you know, by the time that last update comes out, when the game is ten dollars, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. Maybe I'll do it this season. How about that? Maybe. Wow. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> no promises. It's like that, 200 hours. That's what you said about uh, Disco Elysium at the end of the season. I've started it. Oh, that's news to me. It looks so funny when I do that. <laughs> Exclusive from IGN.com, E3's first physical event in four years was supposed to be a triumphant return for the trade show. An opportunity to recapture some of the excitement of past conventions, which is historically have been major showcase events for the games industry. 
However, it appears that when E3 2023 hits the Los Angeles Convention Center in June, it will be without three of its most important draws. IGN has heard from multiple knowledgeable sources that Xbox, Sony, and Nintendo won't be part of E3 2023 or have a presence on the Los Angeles Convention Center show floor. This information comes on the heels of Xbox's announcement last week that it would be returning to Los Angeles for its annual summer showcase while declining to confirm whether it would be part of the show itself. So that leaves Apple Games and Google Stadia at E3 2023. Uh, Google Stadia is already dead, actually. That, I think we yeah, talked I know. Stadia. That was the point. So, yeah, E3 is pretty much dead, which sucks. We Didn't we talk about this every single... We've talked about this every time we've mentioned another convention, because Nintendo has Nintendo Direct. Sony has, what is it, the State of Play? Oh. And Xbox is just constantly doing shit. Like, any Microsoft event, they'll just have a big Xbox thing. So, like, E3... Is I, dead. I think like two years ago, like when we started, we had an announcement about an event. It was like Sony not going, and E three was going digital again yeah. or whatever. And it's this like this has been this is the beginning of the end. Quite a while, a long time ago. I would say the uh, a release of Halo Four in twenty fourteen. I wanted to go to E three really bad. Like I wanted to go to E three in cosplay to go do the circuit. I wanted to have, you know, like, I just, I, I, I had goals I had, before my soul was crushed by the world. I had the same goal, but mine was Vans off the wall tour. That's fair. And that's dead. Yes. Um, yeah. Me and my roommate now, the plan was when, you know, we were deep, elbow deep in playing Halo at the time, was like, we should do a cosplay for like when a Halo game comes out, we should go to E3. It's a so you would have been Master Chief and your roommate would have been Cortada. Yes, something wow. like, I don't know, just something. It's like because there's a lot of really good like cosplayers for the Halo community. It's a small community, but like they make some insanely good looking shit. Mm -hmm. And I just I wanted to do that for one because I was really into cosplay at the time. Um, and like E3, dude, it's E3. But now, what do you think? What twenty twenty seven? E3 is no more? No? It sounds like it might be no more this year. I think that this year is going to have, obviously, record low numbers. So, well, two more years of floundering? Next year might be too oh, early to kill. Oh, it's going to have EA there. E yeah, like EA and Activision. Wait, no, Activision's owned. Never mind. Activision yeah. is owned by Xbox. I think it was run... It was pretty much like that last year or two years ago. It yeah. was like, here's the next... Freaking Watchdog game. The, yeah. For yeah, like it's all, it's just hours. the other. It's the publishers, but not like the big three. It's yeah. just, It's just it. Yeah, I I think by the end of the decade, it's gonna be dead. I I think they're gonna officially kill it. They'll just make it a big computer article. Uh, from PCGamer.com, the bad news is that The Last of Us Part One on PC, which has been set to launch on March third, is delayed. The good news is that the delay is brief as these things go, just a few weeks, and it's now set to come out on March 28th. The delay, believe it or not, was apparently prompted at least in part by the popularity of the HBO show, which has brought the game back into pop culture prominence and exposed it to a whole new audience. Hearing your love for the HBO ad adaptation, seeing your beautiful photo mode shots, 
and learning about how the world and characters our studio created nearly a decade ago continue to reach new and old fans alike floors us every day, Naughty Dog said. We know a lot of you have been revisiting the story that started it all with The Last of Us Part 1 on PlayStation 5, and we realize that many of you have been excited to jump in, some for the first time when Part 1 hits PC. And so we want to make sure that The Last of Us Part 1 PC debut is in the best shape possible. The additional few weeks will allow us to ensure this version of The Last of Us lives up to your and our standards. We are so excited to bring The Last of Us Part 1 to a new platform, reaching new and returning players with Joel and Ellie's unforgettable story of survival. And we hope that you'll continue to look forward to its PC release on March 28th. I cannot wait for the modded experience of the Mandalorian and whatever her character was in Game of Thrones going through this game. Damn. That's my biggest takeaway. I just, I think it's funny that Naughty Dog is such a small enough studio that like, this is a decision they can make on a whim yeah. where it's like, oh shit, we we should probably put a little of the extra elbow grease on this one because the it's show so is exploding right now. Yeah. yeah, especially because the part one remaster isn't, from everything I can tell, is it technically qualify it, the arbitrary lines? It basically qualifies as a remake because it's not just a reskin, but it is primarily a reskin. It's a they're updating the models with the, the the part two models and then like the lighting engines getting fixed and I think a handful of technical problems. So like it's pushing the definition be- of it's pushing beyond like just remaster, which is usually like like uh higher quality textures. Right. Usually it's like just a reskin, you know? It's just it it's not a complete, you know, we just took the PC version and cranked it up to max and then slapped it on a disc. You know? I thought the remake they built in the the same game engine as The Last of Us Part Two, I thought that's why it was remake, marked as remake. It looks very, 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 very close to the remaster, but it there's a couple of like um, mechanics, like they changed how you pick stuff up or craft or something stupid like that, so that it's cohesive between Part Two and things yeah, like that. Small, it, small things. Right. It's just it's. It means it's actually worth money, but it is small. Um, right. Uh, along with the, the lighting enhancements and all those things. Right. From PCGamer.com, a new Bloomberg report says Electronic Arts, EA, not sports, has canceled development of a new game based on the Apex Legends and a Titanfall series that was in development at Respawn Entertainment. That's it, I quit. Yeah, literally. Um, the report, which cites three sources, says the canceled project was a single-player game codenamed Titanfall Legends and set in the shared Apex and Titanfall universe. It was reportedly being directed by Mohamed Alavi until his departure from the studio in 2022. That would presumably put the project uh, that he teased on Twitter in July 2021 we're developing a brand new single-player adventure from Respawn Entertainment, he said at the time. We're a small but ambitious team with a history of dreaming big and making splashes. I am actually fucking pissed. I didn't expect that Titanfall, Titanfall 3 was going to happen because Titanfall 2 bombed. Not because it was bad, it was great, but because it came out the same weekend as like a bunch of other big games or whatever the yeah, fuck. Yeah, Call of Duty and Battlefield. Yeah, it just got crowded out, which happens, and then... But it's got a, it, a huge cult following. It really does, and it's definitely, definitely worth it. That's something I'm potentially tackling soon, maybe. It's about so, time. Yeah, you barely got I've yeah. only played through it like five times. Well, ah! it's short, so you can do that in an afternoon. <laughs> um, uh, 
couple sittings. But also, just with how big Apex got, and they're like, well, they're technically in the same universe, but like, it's not a sequel because, you know, they made Apex. For for being a Battle Royale, Apex Legends is really good. It's just really not up my alley, you know? They're but also- now that I know that they did go, and they were going to make it, and then they canceled it, it's like, yeah. I never needed a Lego Halo game. But when they, they leaked that there was going to be a Lego Halo game and then they canceled it, I'm fucking pissed. You know? Why would you show there's, it to me there, if I can't have it? There's a story element where someone go bye-bye and then credits and then character come back. Oh. So that was what... Three was supposed to be about. So yes, I agree. I am very upset. This is bad. Most uncool. Mega cringe. Not like it's anything new from fucking EA. It's weird that they're like we're a small freaking company and can't do this, and yet they run Apex Legends and they're doing Jedi stuff. Both both Jedi games. Like. I get it, you need manpower, but it's your own game, though. Yeah, it's weird. Very, very wacky. From PCGamer.com, last year it was announced that the next Tomb Raider game would be published by Amazon, with Crystal Dynamics returning to develop. Now, according to sources at The Hollywood Reporter, a Tomb Raider TV series is in development at Amazon Prime with Phoebe Waller-Bridge attached as a writer and executive producer. Waller-Bridge, previously wrote and starred in Fleabag, was showrunner for the first series of Killing Eve and was a writer on the last, I should say latest, James Bond movie, No Time to Die. Except all the time because covid Old joke. While she's performed in movies like Solo, A Star Wars Story, and will be appearing in the next Indiana Jones, Waller-Bridge apparently won't be playing Lara Croft, though The Hollywood Reporter doesn't say who will be following Angelina Jolie and Alicia Vikander in the role. That's not all. Amazon has a movie coming as well, which will be tied to both the series and the game to build out a connected world of Tomb Raider. Basically a Laura cinematic universe, then. You had me in the first half, not gonna lie. It sounded great, and then you made it sound bad. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is fucking phenomenal. She's one of my, like, writing crushes. She's fucking Aww. great. Shut up. And she's hot. But, like, she's really talented. I've loved everything she's fucking worked on. It kind of fits. And she also has personality, which is what this this show is gonna need. Because that's kind of... Still kind of the problem that the the most recent movie had was that it was a bit bland and overly reliant on the the game it was it was adapting. Um so I feel like that's good and I'm not like it's fine that she's not playing the role. She could do it, but fine, I guess. Um Why are you making a goddamn shared universe? Fucking <laughs> yourself right now. Whoever approved this? Up a bridge. Go Roblox yourself. Wow. How edgy of you. It sounded so good. 
And then they're like, and we're going to do a TV show and a movie and another movie and another. They sound like Sony and their expanded universe of Spider-Man characters right now. Yeah. It's interesting that this doesn't have Sony attached to it at all. It's very strange. I don't know, man. Wow. Wacky shiznit, my dude. From PCGamer.com. The day is finally here, folks. Hitman 3 has evolved into a new form, becoming Hitman World of Assassination, a newer and simpler version that casts off the original's baffling array of purchase options in favor of a simple, easy-to-understand package. My package is easy to understand. It doesn't work. Uh, it's that, also simple, but that's not the script. It says single. Si oh. That was two burns in one. <laughs> Easy-to-understand package that encompasses all three games plus an optional deluxe pack that includes the DLC for two and three. Your package doesn't have a deluxe pack. But it does have a second and third part. We're also... But not a fourth! Yes. We're also getting the much-touted and much-delayed Freelancer mode, which adds a kind of roguelike variation of classic Hitman that sees Agent 47 waging war against criminal organizations from a new customizable headquarters. So this is cool. I might actually get into it now because I think I played a couple demos for the first game and I was like, this format is so different than the old games, but it seems pretty cool. It's crazy. It's weird. It's unique. The thing that I got off of it was... It's frustrating because I have copies of the first and second game, but I think it's across different... Platforms like that, Steam or GOG or uh, PlayStation. Sucks so to be you. Yeah, exactly. This is why not being a PC gamer is better. Wow. <laughs> um, I don't know. The only thing that I really got off of it is one, the graphics for the first two games look pretty good. The third game looks a little rough in comparison to the other two, which is really weird. And so does this trailer for this updated version. Interesting. It looks fine. It just looks a little flat. Mm. Low polygon. Um, no polygons? No polygons? Um, but no, the, no, the thing I got that off, was Laura Croft. Ah, them pointy titties. Uh, <laughs> the thing that I got off of it was, um, so you know my ex, my my one true love that I had, Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so there was a th just making sure we're on the same page. Yes. Uh, so in uh, the later entries before the game completely went to shit, there were black box missions where you'd have an assassination where it'd be infiltrate the Notre Dame. You have you can kill the person in any way. There are a couple of optional things you can get extra like XP for if you don't get detected or whatever. But like there are distractions nearby. There are doors. There are secret passageways. There are you know all of the tools in your arsenal, and it would just be like have fun. You know, it just kick you up. You can take two hours to set up an elaborate trap, or you can just run in and stab him. You Sniper know? rifle. Uh, right. Kind of. Uh, so you, and it, that's kind of the vibe that I got off of the, the newer Hitman games is it was a lot more, it was that, but obviously more in depth because that's the whole game is it's a hour long assassination where you can just go through so many different stealth options yes. and it is cool. I don't know why or, I haven't gotten to it, but. Or sniper rifle. <laughs> then just go play sniper elite four. <laughs> that is an option in the game though. It takes like the whole game to unlock it, but. Um, the interesting thing about Hitman is that it it's different from what you were talking about in Assassin's Creed because you have to escape, and that is the hard part. A really difficult thing to do. Um, yeah, but I I really love that 
the these three games have had constant updates of like uh, they were trying to prolong the game and like here's a target that you'll never have again which is kind of dumb and annoying but it's set up to have a rotating pool of go to different parts of the world now and kill a new guy so it's it's fun it's weird it's cool from PCGamer.com, Halo's future is unreal. <laughs> Jason Schreier is so funny. According to Bloomberg reporter Jason Schreier, in an article published Tuesday, Schreier wrote that late last year, when previous studio head Bonnie Ross and engine lead David Berger departed and Pierre Hintz took over developer 343 Industries, finally decided to pivot to Unreal. The change is just one detail in a report that outlines the challenges 343 faced while developing Halo Infinite and the impact of Microsoft's recent layoffs. According to Schreier, at least 95 employees were laid off at 343, a number that Microsoft had not disclosed. The 95, not the 343. The layoffs hit dozens of veterans, including top directors and contractors, upon which the studio heavily relies, the report said. Those temporary employees were given just a few days' warning before their contracts came to an end, according to people familiar with the process. Temporary employees, like veterans of top directors. Smells fishy. 343 remains the primary developer behind Halo Infinite and future Halo games, but the report makes it clear just how unclear the path to that future currently looks. It describes Halo's existing slipspace engine as based largely on old code from the 90s and early 2000s. And says it was the source of headaches for some of Infinite's development. Unreal Development will reportedly start with a new project, codenamed Tatanka. Toy Tonka. I like Tonka trucks. Mm. Which is being co-developed with longtime Halo contributors, Certain Affinity. Our colleagues at Windows Central reported on Tatanka last year, calling it a battle royale mode that would be compatible with Halo Infinite's Forge tools. Windows Central corroborated with um, I just broke. Windows Central corroborated the detail that 343 Industries plans to move development to Unreal, writing, internally there was a fierce tug of war over the change, with one camp of developers desiring the switch, and another arguing that Halo should remain on slipspace. According to Windows Central, there's, there were, according to Windows Central, there was also a version of Tatanka built on Halo's existing slipspace engine. It may be quite some time before we see the results of Halo running on Unreal Engine. After 343's industry's leaders have repeatedly called Halo Infinite a platform for the next 10 years of Halo, I'm making eyes. Don't at look Spencer. at me. Don't because look at me. That's exactly what my hateful ex said. No. Yes, it is. No. The most surprising detail in Bloomberg's report is that there are no new campaign missions or expansions in development. Stop looking at me! Like my hateful ex. Stop! 
I'm gonna cry! According to Bloomberg's sources, developers were making prototypes in the Unreal Engine and pitching ideas for new Halo games rather than working on new missions for Halo Infinite. The report adds that many of these developers were laid off in the recent cuts and for now only work on Infinite's multiplayer continues. And to add on top of that, from, <laughs> from GameInformer.com, Amidst the layoffs, Halo Infinite creative director Joe Staten, who was brought onto the team in 2020 to help finish to help bring the game across the finish line, announced he was leaving the studio to rejoin Xbox Publishing. Staten also told employees at 343 Industries that the company had made the difficult decision to restructure elements of our team, which means some roles are being eliminated, according to Bloomberg. This massive wave of layoffs comes as Microsoft continues to gain approval from various agencies like the FTC for its acquisition of Call of Duty maker Activision Blizzard, for a colossal $69 nice. billion. Okay, so... Halo Infinite was a big oofie, and now they are restructuring. Big oof. So, yes. So, so, one, Microsoft doing massive layoffs so they can buy more studios is atrocious and disgusting. That seems to be the bigger part behind this, is they're just like, well, if we make... Microsoft smaller, then we can make sure that the trade deal gets lined up. And that's disgusting. Um, and then 343 having huge layoffs is also not good. So the biggest problem that I think everyone in the Halo community has been ranting about for years now is no one dislikes the devs at 343. Like, specific employees have never really been the problem. Even if there are disagreements with them, they're pretty much all fairly normal people. A lot of them, sadly, are contractors who are not paid anywhere near enough. But, like, most of them are front-facing employees, like the heads of departments. They're just chill, normal people. They give updates. They've all been great during all of these very messy releases. But the fucking leadership at 343 has never been there. It's always been something new. Some Like, every game has multiple head leads. Uh, Frank O'Connor was running 343's ship for a while. I think most of Halo 5's development, and then he bailed halfway through development on Infinite. It was this is the this is the problem. Is it's a structure issue and it's a leadership problem? Like generals, general rule: never blame the devs for a game failing. That's ninety nine percent gonna be applicable. You know, they're working, they're pulling, they're hauling ass to get shit across the finish line. They're not the problem. It's the lack of resources and like structure. So that fucking blows. Um, and I'm not going to say that that's a Staten problem because he was basically just, one, he was brought on for PR reasons because, you know, he's one of the OGs. And also, it was a temporary position. I think that was pretty much clearly stated originally was like, I'm here to bring it across the finish line and, like, guide it through some of the live service stuff. And he did that. And it makes sense that he's going to go back to his other job at Xbox Publishing. Um, the... The thing that's kind of killing... Two things that are killing me. One, we knew about the the third game mode, the the Battle Royale thing. Had This is, was leaked like a year ago. So this was this is a known thing. I actually think Halo Halo's sandbox works for a, a Battle Royale like really well. Fucking fight me. Um, I, I'm down for it. Okay, sure. Especially at this point. Yeah, it does. It does, it does, it does need the population numbers. Let's not lie. Um, they just made a new engine, though. That's the thing that's bothering me is clear... They... Uh, most of the problems they seem to have had during development on a technical level, obviously COVID, working from home for most of Infinite's development, but also the they just made the Slipspace engine. It seems to be mostly old code. Like they didn't, it's not like it was created whole cloth and it start from nothing, but it, it was a 
a huge evolve uh, on top of the previous Halo engine, so they called it a new thing because it was effectively a new engine because of how much they had to change. Obviously, every Halo game is added on to part of the engine. They're using the Quake engine, basically. Like, every, it's, a, it's an old fucking engine, but the they did a massive overhaul to it, so Slip Space was effectively new, and that's one of the reasons why Infinite took so fucking long, but also because it was new and they weren't used to it, that's also why every single fucking update took, like, six months longer than it was supposed to to come out, and still is. So switching to Unreal isn't going to fix that. It'll be cool, in a sense, because I'm sure that some of these devs probably have more experience with Slip Space, with Unreal, than they do with Slip Space. But they just spent, like, five years. This is why it took Infinite so long after five to even get announced, was because they were deciding to, we need to, re, like, overhaul the fucking engine before we can start working on the game. The first trailer was a reveal that it was on a new engine. So this is so fucking stupid. The other thing that's killing you? Is the bleach that you drink every morning. Yes. Um, no, it's the fact that they have killed all single-player single, single player expansions on this game. Uh, they just killed that team, and that's part of the layoffs, is there's no more... There were leaks and rumors of lots of DLC. The game ends on a cliffhanger. That's clearly not because they said it's a, a platform for 10 years. Clearly it was a setup for DLC packs. That's some fucking bullshit. So it's just going to be... Basically, what we have now, I think, we'll get a couple more big updates with the features that are missing, because there's still a few features that are missing, and, like, I think they're just going to have to put out their whole their whole 343 OC into making the live surface, like, tenable for the next long time. That one didn't flow so well. Uh, yeah. It no, was it a good didn't. try. I, I wasn't... Like, that, that, that's the only thing. It's going to be that, and then the new game mode, whenever that gets released... Like that, that, like that's it. They fucked themselves on this one, which is so fucking sad. Because Infinite was like their shot. It was like course correction, back to a lot of classic elements. We changed the art style. We changed the gameplay. Most people are happy with the way the game plays. Most people like the story. It's there. It was the, It was their time. And they blew it. You blew it. God. Damn it! You sound like a dad talking sport ball. <sighs> it's just incredibly disappointing because this means at a minimum we're not going to get another game for, I would say, six years. They're going to either have to just set they're they're going to get have to get used to the Unreal Engine, do whatever else they're going to do. They're going to have they need a goddamn studio head. I can name five people that have been like basically head of three four three since it was founded, like post Bungie. And they've all fucked around and left. So they need a head. But th like this problem will continue. That's the same problem that the other games had. They didn't have a really strong vision there to unify all the different game modes and stuff and have a, a, a direction. It was all over the place. So you had writers arguing with each other for like all of Halo 5's development. Halo 5 got, had its story scrapped halfway through. That's why the marketing was false, was because that was the story, and then they changed it. Like, Have this nice cold glass of bleach. I'm so fucking upset about this. <laughs> and also just laying off a shit ton of employees for that is fucking garbage. You hit on that. It's it's not their fucking fault. God, God damn, I'm, I'm so cranky about this. There was also some weird rumors about what they're going to do moving forward, but those weren't credible enough to look into. From Kotaku.com, the upcoming Rainbow Six film from Paramount, starring Michael B. Jordan, has a director 
Chad Stahelski. He's best known for his work on the popular John Wick films and will produce the movie alongside Jordan, who stars as, uh, who stars as John Clark, a popular character from Tom Clancy's books. Jordan already... Oh my gosh, I can't talk about this thing in my mouth. It's called a tongue. <laughs> Jordan, that's, that's not a tongue. Jordan already portrayed Clark in the 2021 film Without Remorse, which is based on the Tom Clancy book of the same name. Technically. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. That movie, which skipped theaters due to a pandemic that you may have heard of, and launched on Amazon Prime, ended with Clark planning to establish a multinational anti-terrorist team codenamed Rainbow. Shut up. This set up a potential sequel that would focus on the popular Rainbow Six team, which over the years has become well-known to gamers thanks to Ubisoft's successful video game franchise based on the fictional squad. So, I saw the movie. Mm -hmm. And I said, this has nothing to do without remorse. It's probably a cool movie, but it has nothing to do with the book, besides the title. So I and also watched the movie. Me. I haven't read the book. It was, like, fine. Yeah, that's what I figured it, it was would be. It was, like, he's good, because it's Michael B. Jordan. Man can riz up a statue, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. he, yeah. Right. He, it, it was, like... But it pisses me off that they're using Tom Clancy's name and like doing nothing with what they have to work with. To be fair, I understand Ubi it's old. Ubisoft has been doing this for 20 years. Nothing mm. that they none of their games have anything to do Some with this. Some of their books. first ones were. Yeah, in the early 2000s. Yeah. You know how many games that they they're like an annual release. You said none. You were wrong. 85% of their games Thank have you. nothing to do with Tom Clancy at all. It's name recognition and, like, they they have an entire life their own. Yes. They're, like, an annual release game series. I do not so, argue. Like, yeah. But it's still wrong. It. I don't disagree, but I'll take what I can get. I don't know. I The movie was, like, it was, like, a seven. What? Like, a six, seven. It, it was right. fine. Nothing, nothing that was intensely bad, but it wasn't, like, the most exciting thing in the world. It was fine. He was... Decent. It makes sense that they want to make it a thing. Um, it should be a thing. Yeah. It should be better all the way around. I still want them to go back <laughs> to the Shadow Recruit timeline because I like that movie. Yes. It has nothing to do with those fucking books, but I really like it. Yep. It's the best Chris. And Kira Knightley, if I remember correctly. So, yes. hot couple. Yes. Very spicy. Um it's and, cool that Stahelski's involved. And they got the helicopter involved. crash really good. Yeah. It's good that Stahelski's involved because that was the thing with, with the other movie was like, the action was fine. Yeah. But if like, we, we... Oh, we, shit. Helicopter with a gun. Right. We hide. But if we, you know, we we crank this shit up, we make it, you know, we get some 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 gun-fu going on. I'm I'm definitely down. Yep. Strong improvement. I didn't know where to put it because it's like it's based off the books, but it's also gonna be adapting the games. I didn't know if I should include it. <laughs> it is, you know, it, yeah, I don't know, man. It's more. I think it has more to do with the Tom Clancy games than it does the books. So I, mean, I figured it would be appropriate here because it reading the, that sounded somewhat close to the the books where uh, John Clark establishes a multinational anti-terrorist team codenamed Rainbow. Mm. We'll see. That's true. We will see. From TheVerge.com. 
It's not Metroid Prime 4, but it's still big news for fans of Intergalactic, Bounty Hunter, Samus, Eren. The original Metroid Prime is being remastered for the Switch. Even better, the game launched, from when we're recording this, two days ago, uh, on the 8th of February, in the Nintendo eShop. A physical version will be available February 22nd. The news was announced during Nintendo's first direct presentation of the year. The first Prime launched two decades ago on the GameCube, best console in the world, yep. and was remarkable for the way it translated the moody exploration of Super Metroid into a first-person experience. It was followed by two sequels. A fourth game, aptly named Metroid Prime 4, is in the works but was rebooted in 2019 with little information since. So this makes me feel better. I was on YouTube yesterday and I said, what the heck is that? And I was like, oh, that looks cool. When did this come out? I don't know, but it's 40 bucks on Nintendo. I'll, yeah. I'll probably get that. Literally yesterday. So now I find out that it was a day old, and I was seeing it on YouTube. It also so, looks really good. It looks it like does. a very good remaster. Yes. It it brought back um, uh, nostalgia yes. because I watched my cousins play that game. I was like, oh, I remember this. I just love the music. It's so fucking quirky. Good shit. Just, just that didn't make any sense, but just nope. the, the music is so you you know Metroid Prime music when you hear it. It's so fucking weird. Okay, I don't know. It looks cool. Looks good. If the price seems reasonable for a remaster of an old game, forty bucks seems fine. Yep. It's like a twenty hour experience. I think it's been a long time. Um, of course, disappointing. It's not all three, but whatever. Such is life. We watched a movie. We did watch a movie. What's the movie called? Your Mom's Porno. <laughs> Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge came out in 2020. It is R-rated. It stars Jennifer Carpenter and Joel McHale and Ike Amadi and Steve Blum and Art Butler and Darren DePaul and Robin Atkin Downs and Greg Griffin because, of course, and Dave B. Mitchell and Kevin Michael Richardson. <laughs> I was going to tell you <laughs> said something. So it's a direct-to-VOD adaptation of the early game's story, but with so much gore, it's so adult, and they say fuck. And it's pretty good. It is quite good. There's <laughs> a lot of blood. There is so much fucking blood. I think this is <laughs> more violent than the Mortal Kombat R-rated movie that we just got. Oh, yeah. In no. 2021. It, it, like by tenfold. Yeah. This is disgusting. There were times I was like, holy fucking shit, dude. Like, chill, buddy. There's <laughs> brain matter flying. This is insane. Uh, a lot of blood. I think it's interesting that they did the x ray shots of like the modern games, basically. I thought it, that was cool. It changed it to black and red outlines as the evisceration was happening, but it made me realize that that was kind of something we were missing from the 2021 live action movie. It was missing a little bit of that pizzazz, mm. meaning they need to be more violent. The next one needs to be more violent. More they, need, they need to crank it up. Like it's fine. It reaches the point where it's comedic when you go for it. I mean, there were still nasty things. Oh yeah. Like the, the hat, Saw blade thing. That was great. Like, but that's, we're, that's but one of my favorite kills in that yes, movie. But we're also laughing because it's fucking hilarious. It's great. And that's the thing is like when you do go, like it's like playing Doom. Like the go, yeah, it's tense. But when you crank the gore up so much, it becomes so funny. Yes. Um. So yeah, this is 
the fact that it released basically like right before um, the live action movie came out is I think one of the reasons why that was received as like, <sighs> God damn it. We're doing the same thing again because they yeah. did basically did. Yeah. Uh, except this one doesn't have some writers OC and it just actually follows the characters. So big win um, for that. Uh, this is, it's the, it's kind of, I think the problem that a lot of these series have is every time something isn't like super popular and they have to try again, you have to start back with the first story. And this is a pretty well condensed, tightened up version with a lot of changes to like the early stuff and like all the flashbacks and stuff and whatever. And I think there's goddamn comic books and whatever, but also it's like, we have, we, we've seen this, we've seen the first tournament, you know, but also not really. I don't know. It's just one of those things that's, it's very simple. It's and got that's enough fine. story that you can follow it, but it doesn't have enough story that there's, it, it, it bogs itself down. Right. It's, I'm it's really the perfect balance of story. I'm and really action. for a first entry. I'm really hoping that the next two, the next two movies after this, which I think they're making it for there's, there's other sequels to this and they were also, um, um, animated received well. So I'm, I'm with about the same as this. I saw some drop off in, in the reviews. Mm. I haven't seen them though. It looks, it just, I, I, it looks like they're leading into bigger stuff. The movie, and not on a cliffhanger, but it ends on like mega sequel bait. And it's yep. like, damn, we weren't actually fighting the big bad, which you, they basically say the whole movie. They're like, this isn't even the bad guy, mm-hmm. which is fair. It is just a little annoying, but like it, I, I think it's a, yeah, it's balanced enough. And that was the thing. It was for a, I would have been a little annoyed if I had gone to theaters to watch this. One, because it's like an hour 15. It's a little True. too short. Yeah, I'm all for watching short movies. And also because I have the Regal Pass thing, I'd watch shit for free. But like, <laughs> if I had to pay for a ticket for this, I would be like, I it, it feels like a direct-to-streaming movie. And that's not always a bad thing. It also feels like some of the more recent animated DC movies. It, it a little bit. It looks very, very, very similarly animated. It has a bit of that 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 type of thing to it. Yeah, I'm assuming it's probably one of the some of the people are in common because also Ed Boon did work kind of on the worst DC animated movie other than The Killing Joke, Injustice, um, which was Garbo. But like, I think it's just there's probably some animators involved on like a higher up level. It's WB. They're a small WB is tanking so hard. They're they're a pretty small company these days, you know. Yeah. So it would make sense. Um, it just it felt like. It just, it felt a little light for me and it felt a little, a little, I hate to say overly long for such a short movie, but it does in the middle of like uh, the second half of act two felt long, weird, which is weird. I don't usually have that problem with movies, but when it's, when I'm already expecting a short, I'm expecting short nonstop action bullshit. And it was like a good five plus minutes of dialogue. And I'm like, you can talk while you fight. This is a. This is a game series where a normal human, Sonya Blade, just crushed concrete by shoving someone into it and, like, killed someone in a street fight. Like, come on. Like, you can do anything with this. You can make people talk while they're fighting. Um, one of my I didn't few have gripes. that problem at all. It, I, it feels like a five-minute watch. <laughs> I might have been in a mood. I don't know, man. Um, but, yeah, no. The, the uh, same problem with the <laughs> action movie. The opening is, like, three times better than the rest of it. Mm. Not because the rest of it's bad, but because the opening on this thing is fucking nuts. Um, 
we get, you know, Scorpion doing dad things. I love how every version of Scorpion is different. Like, they're always like, I don't know, this one's from a different country, has a different name and whatever, but also... This one's from hell. But they're, like, all kind of the same at the, at the same time. Yeah. They're all, like... Something I just realized. He's Ghost Rider. Yeah. I'm so dumb. Um, I've played this game series for, like, 15 years. It's like, oh... Oh, there's a skull. He can breathe fire. He has a penitent stare. And he's a, they explicitly call him a spirit of vengeance. I'm so fucking dumb. <laughs> uh, this movie doesn't explain his powers. He, like, he has a backstory that's tragic, and then we jump forward in time, and then suddenly he's, like, bamfing around through the powers of hell. And it's like... <laughs> Yeah, he absorbed what? he absorbed the hell juices when he was in the nether realm because mm. it's like if you fight for me you can uh, see your kid and then it's then then it's like damn bro I missed that give me Both give me times. that yeah it's insane how much would you spend <sighs> I kind of wanted a Blu-ray but also it's on HBO and it seems to be one of the few things HBO isn't just deleting off the face of the planet true because this debut debuted on there and in stores like retail wise. It, this was a direct to VOD movie, so let me look it up on Amazon and see if you would pay that price. Mm, I think I've seen it enough times in Walmart where I've considered it at least. It's good to throw. It's a good party movie. It's a good thing to throw on with a group of people and just like eat chips and shit. You know, it's twelve bucks. Yes, on Blu-ray. Yeah, twelve bucks. I'd pay like under twenty for Blu-ray and a digital copy. Um, I just, I really like the animation. It's so, so I haven't mentioned it, I don't think, recently on the on, on our other podcast, Dime Comic Bros, um, because I, I've been blasting through a lot of DC animated movies yes, because I've have. been bored, not really bored, avoidant of my life problems. Um, and some of them have the worst animation I've seen in my fucking life nice. for such a high budget production. Um, there, a lot of them are really cheap. Some of them are not, but like there's some especially recently, where the animation quality is just so low effort. Um, <clears throat> something like Injustice, which I did talk about a few months ago, for a, another fighting game from the same developers and getting an animated movie form, that thing was abysmal. Not just because it was less interesting and the fighting was bad and blah, 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 but like the character designs have the same... Everyone's a giga-chad, you know? Like... Sonya Blade is the most Stacy on the planet. You know, everyone's got like 0% body fat and their face is just skull, you know? It's got that look to it, which I enjoy. But for some reason, a lot of those other things cut costs in frames and all sorts of stuff. This is buttery smooth. And not because of interpolation and bullshit. Like, it's just actually smooth. They just put in the effort to not cut out, like, cheap out on the action. Interpolation. I, I really don't like motion smoothing. Whatever your parents have on their TV. Just all that shit. It's Anti -aliasing. evil. Anti-aliasing. It's evil. I taught gamer too. Evil. Um, this was pretty damn good. It's fun. Yes. The soundtrack is good. The action was fun. It doesn't lore dump too heavy, but it is enough where you can gather that, like... Stuff happens. I think it's enough for an entry point. It's <laughs> like, I'm interested in where this is going, but I'm not, like literally squirreling around in my seat dying to watch the next one. It's like, I'll watch it when I get to it. Best Mortal Kombat movie. Yes. Yes, by like a good step and a half. I think I it's like a 7 or a 10? A 7 to 8-ish? A 7 or a 10, somewhere Se around there. 
it has like because of the the type of because it's a direct to VOD movie, like there are natural limitations, not natural, but like there are limitations on it, which just keep it from like being, you know, the best thing ever. Duh. It's but that's fine. It doesn't have to be the most deep movie ever. Yes. It can be just kind of fun and surface level and like she kicked Johnny Johnny Cage in the balls a lot. Yeah. And it turned them on. That was the weird part. Really? You don't know a guy who's into that. Ask some of your coworkers. I, I they'll tell you. Colin. Call Colin. Johnny Cage cock and ball crushing torture. Suspense. Let me let me let Get me. the wiggles out, Frank. Let me attach my asshole to the chair. I am now sealed into the chair. <laughs> we are one. Spencer, you played a video game this month. What did you play and what did you think of it and what did you spend for money on it? Also, I can't help but notice you have the first volume of Berserk on yourself already. <laughs> That's yes. only taken months and months and months. Uh, yes. Uh, Did your boss actually buy it for you? No, I bought it myself. Aww. So, I eh? I played two games. Whoa. We're going to do you one. I'm gonna achiever. I'm going to pull a fucking Jacob. Wow. You played... A slightly short little side-scroller, like me. It's not short. It took me 10 hours to play it, and I left a lot of challenges undone. I was speedrunning to get it done for this mm-hmm. stupid review. And I'm going to do two, because fuck you. Wow. Good thing is, they're kind of the same game. So I played Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. The OG. The GOAT. It's still the GOAT. Sadly. Kind of not sadly. So... Uh, Call of Duty uh, was spun out of the uh, Medal of Honor series, an old World War II shooter series, which was pretty damn good. Um, But then there's a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff with Activision, and they're like, we want our own series. And then Call of Duty was apparently planned to be modern basically from the beginning. The original Call of Duty was just a test run because they needed to get their foot in the door as a World War II shooter. And then they had to make two more. (laughs) Um... So the the company that uh, the developer um hold on Infinity Ward I'm dumb Infinity Ward um almost went bankrupt before being able to make this game they were so small this team the game the team that made Modern Warfare started off with like twenty five people like the company was about to go up not 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 like one hundred percent go under but like they were like you know what, fuck it, we should do the thing we wanted to do in the first place, and then the team got bigger as they they started progressing, and it became a cultural phenomenon before it even came out. Um, so this was modern gaming's big push into modern warfare, you know? Uh, it was moving away from a lot of World War II games, um, which means, one, changing up the gameplay almost entirely, um, and two, a very different tone. More bleach. More bleach. So this ended up getting released in 2007 uh, on, this would have been, what is it, 7th gen? So Windows, PS3, Xbox 360, <laughs> Mac. Uh, it eventually came out on the Wii, which is funny. Uh, it's bad. Don't play it on the Wii. <laughs> um, this, I can, there we go. Um, so it takes place in 2011, where a... I'm going to be very vague with all these terms because Call of Duty is really vague with all their political terms because that's how they get away with all the weird shit they do. The story takes place in the year of 2011 where a radical leader has executed the president of an unnamed country in the Middle East and an ultra-nationalist movement ignites a civil war in Russia. 
The conflicts are seen from the perspectives of U.S. Marine Force Recon Sergeant and British SAS Commando and are set in the U.K., Middle East, Azerbaijan, uh, Russia, and Ukraine. Uh, and there's also multiplayer. I love how the country's just named by punching the keyboard. I, I, I love saying Azerbaijan. It's so funny. Um, Where are we going? Azerbaijan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. 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 So, yes. Uh, yes. 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 So, the game primarily takes place from the perspective of, uh, yeah, Soap McTavish, our, our, new, our new boy, our POV character for 80% of the game, I would say, um, who is a new inductee into this crazy, crazy, super secret Marine squad. Um, and you also play, uh, I would say, another about 15% of the remainder as uh, Paul Jackson, uh, sergeant in the Marine Corps, uh, also recon. Um, there are uh, a handful of missions uh, taking place as a unnamed uh, AC-130 pilot, uh, as well as a non-playable mission or a uh, a non um, non non combat mission taking place entirely in a car, where you are um, the leader of said nation who gets executed. That's a very spicy mission. Um, basically, this wasn't planned to be a game. Kind of fun fact, not really. So, gaming was weird around this time for first person shooters. Um, this. What we would think of now of game development was very different, whereas now, if you want to make a shooting game, a first-person shooter with a story, like a new Call of Duty, you write the story first, and then you make the levels, kind of. there. You, you mostly start with an outline, and then you work from there. This game was basically built level by level, and then they wrote a story around it, which makes it a miracle that it functions as a story. So they made... Does it really function as a story, though? Yes, it does eat my asshole. Uh, so there's uh, about 15 missions, roughly. Um, and apparently, mm, about 10 of those were made like in the last leg of production. So they, they had made a big batch of levels, and then they had to cut out a bunch of them. You can find a lot of them online. Um, I believe Reykjavik did a pretty good video on the development of Modern Warfare, which is a very interesting one, so I'll link it. Very good um, video. Very, yeah, he went very in-depth in like, all the cut levels and stuff. So basically, they just made levels. They made this, this, and the other thing, and then it's like, so how do we tie these all together into a cohesive narrative? If it's the video I'm thinking of, I'd say the opening 20 minutes is about Medal of Honor. Yes. <laughs> That's how it's like a two hour. Goes. It's like a two-hour-long video. It's, it's a lot. It's great. It's very good. Um... So just games were produced differently back then. That was normal for them. You'd make levels and then you would write, you know, the cutscenes and the introductory dialogue and then you add on top of the base gameplay. Um, we don't do as much of that now. So it's just interesting to play because it does, in a sense, feel a little bit like a relic of the mid-2000s where it's, you can... Each level feels a lot more, one, carefully crafted like a play box. It's a... You know, aside from just Call of Duty getting worse over the years, it is a, a focused, these are your objectives for this mission. You have all these different routes you can take. It actually, I hate to say it, but it feels more like a Halo mission most of the time. In terms of the, 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 the effort put into the uh, map layout, the objectives, and the weapon placements, 
it feels a lot more like that than it does what we would now think of as Call of Duty. Um, Call of Duty has evolved so far past this formula, for better and for worse. Um, and I just it, it creates a very strange feeling when playing it, where you're where you know you'll load in, you go through the tutorial, you get briefed, uh, and then you go into your your you know your first mission. And a lot of it is a good amount of scripted moments, but it still f- tries to feel like it's all organic. Um, there are some moments in some missions where, say, you have to push for an objective, and it's the only time you'll have like infinitely spawning enemies. Um, this is one of the only games where I can sit and camp and actually feel like it's a real strategy. It actually feels like I need to hunker down and clear this building. I can't just speed run it. Um, and I think that's one due to uh, other details I'll get into in a minute, but like the gameplay loop is tight and it's concise. And I think that's the important part of, of why it works. Um, I like all three of the previous call of duties to varying degrees, but this shift one into a modern setting with a different tone and story gameplay balance, um, is very, it was, an, it was a necessary evolution for the genre to move forward because the earlier Call of Duty games were, uh, if I remember, I believe it's Call of Duty 2. It's basically like one long game. Like there are checkpoints, but like it never stops. And there's very little story. All of the story takes place in like in-game scripted moments and that's it, which it's an unrelenting game. Um, this actually feels like a production. It feels like the earliest version of what we would now think think of as like a modern FPS for consoles, um, which means it simultaneously, it feels retroactively cliche because I've played so many games since then with the same gameplay formula, similar settings and similar, um, I don't know, just almost everything being very close to it, even within the same series of Call of Duty. Um, It feels like, damn, I've been here before, like, the whole game. Not just because I've played this game at least ten times through, um, but because of the way it's built. It's like, um, it's kind of like playing CE in a way, whereas CE was the big push for 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 a lot of stuff that we take for granted in, in modern gaming, even not even in first-person shooters, like having two weapons and a health bar. Like all a bunch of stuff that Halo started has become so so pastiche. It's in other genres now, and Call of Duty had a lot of stuff like that with this game, this type of formula, differing perspectives of the similar conflict in different parts of the world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it feels small and quaint, but I like that. It's a comforting feeling. It feels like going, not like going to a museum to go look at old movies and be like, damn, movies used to suck. But it's like going and it's like, it's like watching Star Wars. It's like, it's got a, a, a little, it's got so many, it's got a lot of rough edges. It's got a lot of moments that you're like, that could have been done so much better, especially now. But you have to, unless you're a moron or mega zoomer, you have wicked young person with no framing on how stuff works. You have to have a good appreciation for the art that's come before, and I think that's something I have a, a strong predilection for. I like playing older games or games that were influential, and I can understand where those things came from. You have to realize how it set the bar. Right. So now that the bar is the bar was set here, 
and so many things have gone over it, it feels small and like, damn, this is not even that big. Despite having like 15 levels, it's about 10 hours to play through if you're on a reasonable difficulty. Um, so it's just it, general vibes are like that. It's strange. Um, so the musical score and general presentation is phenomenal. I, I'm, I'm such a sucker for this era of gaming in general because um, it was just before I started playing. So there's like a, it's like liking 90s shit. It's like, damn, that was, I was so close to being in the 90s. Uh, the musical score was uh, written and composed by Stephen Barton uh, with the primary um, th themes and leitmotifs being written by Harry Gregson Williams, who has gone on to much bigger fame than Call of Duty. Um, in a similar way, that will happen with the next game, whereas most of the, the score was actually done by, I believe it was Brian Tyler, but the main theme was done by Hans Zimmer. Uh, having a composer come in to write the 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 big stuff the meat of it in terms of like the material you'll be working with and then you have someone frankly lower paid and less experienced to come in and write the the massive hours worth of music is pretty standard practice for video games um, and I think this is a really good example of that the main themes are catchy I can hear them in my fucking sleep they're not too overpowering the musical score knows when to be quiet and shut the fuck up which also may have plenty to do with the sound mixing and the um audio editor, um, but, like, uh, it, it just is good. It's good presentation. The vibes are there, and that's the thing that I think this game excels at. Out of the whole Call of Duty series, and frankly, for most shooters, if I, if I want to play Modern Warfare, if I want to feel like I should be hearing ACDC in an AC-130, I will play this game more than any of the other ones, even though there are games that have done it better, and there are games that have done it bigger and louder, Modern Warfare 2. Um, it nails the balance that Call of Duty immediately fucked up and went in the wrong direction for. Um, the presentation is serious, but vague and non-confrontational. And it's not because this is an apolitical game. It's war, retard. <laughs> but it's like... It... it in a lot of ways that a lot of media does. They they use a lot of adjacent countries or fake countries that are clearly modeled after something, um, you know, stuff like that. They, they play fast and loose with a lot of geopolitics in a way that makes it easy enough to understand for a layperson, but without getting into the nitty-gritty or having much... Um, <laughs> it doesn't have a much of a thesis in the, the specific. It has it, a general... You're saying they don't. Soapbox? Ah! No. Come don't. on, that was a good they one. They don't, no. Um, despite the... It, this is the only Call of Duty game... This, this is the last Call of Duty game, correction. Other than Modern Warfare 2019, um, and potentially Modern Warfare 2, the new one, I haven't played that yet, um, that I can genuinely say I think is actually anti-war. <laughs> um, I think they immediately lost that. They got lost in the sauce way too fast. Um... The first three games were very good examples of that. They had a lot of that Medal Honor at the time, you know, war being unrelenting hell. And then because, one, modern warfare in and of itself, the, like, how we do war is very different and extremely strange. Um, there's different implications we still haven't studied yet. Like, for instance, one of the levels, you take over an AC-130. You are just 
plinking off people like it's nothing, and you're joking the whole time. And the game is aware that that should probably make you feel weird. Like, it's funny, because the dialogue is funny, and it's satisfying to use the different weapons on the gunship, but it's also like, it just, the way that it presents the information to you, the dissonance of you can't see what the world looks like, it's only in, um, like, high contrast heat mode, you have to, it's either black and white or white and black. You only, you can't see what the game looks like. What One, I'm sure it was a good cost-cutting measure. Um, but, like, it tells you, like, hey, um, why do you feel nothing about this, you know? Like, the the way that we do war is so dehumanizing and also, um, it, like, alienating. It's very peculiar. And a lot of the game does things like that. Whereas you go back uh, as uh, Paul Jackson... Jackson? Jackson. The Marine. You go back to go save a a fallen pilot, and you get fucking nuked. Like, none of your efforts mean anything, um, and you're left there to die. And you watch the nuke go off. Which, one, looked great. But, like, that's the type of presentation I'm interested in more than a lot of the other games are. I am not opposed to games not giving, like, very many shits about any of its themes, but I appreciate the fact that despite that this was mostly created to be, like, a gameplay exploration, you know, look at all these cool level designs we made. They put enough effort into the story and the the presentation to convey, hey, this is probably bad, um, and you can probably tell who the bad guys are in this conflict, but also a lot of this is really confusing and weird. And the fact that you your primary character with Soap is so detached from the main conflict, you you and your squad are just going in there and fucking shit up, you know? You feel like part of a group, which is also one of the last Call of Duty games that gets that part right. You don't feel like a one-man army. You feel like one man in an army, which is great. It's a really good feeling to, like, have useful AI. <laughs> you can actually shoot things, you know? Um, it just creates a very good tonal experience where it's like, you can pick it up and play it. The game's not trying to make you, like, have an existential crisis about war, but it's also, like, it's reminding you that, like, Maybe you should play other things too, you know? Maybe you shouldn't let this be your only obsession, you know? It, it, it has enough self-awareness to it. How did the remaster stack up? So, we're almost there. We're almost there. <sighs> I was trying to help you transition. <laughs> Give me your hair. Um, <laughs> you have lost penis privileges. <laughs> um, so I played the original version on my Xbox One but with a 360 disc. Sorry, I I played it on the Xbox Series X, which is emulating the Xbox One and for the Xbox 360 emulator. So it plays well. Um, Wow. Very few technical problems. Play good. Um, The game is rough because it's 2007. The the hitboxes are kind of large and blocky, you know, stuff like that. Um, But it... It, it runs well. I had no crashes. I had no stuttering, no frame rate drops, um, no weird shit. Just it played the way it's supposed to play in terms of the, the game running. You know, on, on the CPU with the graphics card, it played well. Um, I paid $5 for this game disc like 10 years ago. I've had the same copy of Modern Warfare for like ages. <laughs> Like, it's been so long. I think I bought it at, like, an antique store that sells just assorted shit. 
You can get this game cheap as fuck anywhere. Um, it's worth except on Steam. Well, yes, because digital platforms suck. Just another reason not to be a PC gamer. Um, yeah, Drink that bleach. So worth the money. This I've gotten so much replay out of this game. Like I said, I've probably played it around ten times. Um, I can't really talk about the multiplayer because the servers are so fucked up now. But it was revolutionary at the time. It stuck the it stuck the landing. It's fun. It's just something I did not have the time to have the patience to go through so many like busted lobbies. Um, and the servers are mostly abandoned just because it's so old. Um, yeah. So, moving on to the the other part of this. Ha, <laughs> gotcha, 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 bitch. I also played the remaster, uh, which was released in, in 2016, which was developed by Raven Software and published by Activision. Um, it was originally in, just included in uh, the like legacy bundles of Infinite Warfare, which was not a well-received or popular game at the time. But you kind of so, like it. We'll get to that eventually, man. Uh, but yes, uh, so it's... Uh, <sighs> Activision did everything they could to fuck up this remaster, and it's still good. Like, great. It's one of the best straight-up remasters I've played, period. Um, but everything that the publisher did made this thing hard to like. It's impressive. So, one, they released it as a $20 add-on, basically, or something like that. You had to pay for an additional bundle, and it came with a download code for the game. You couldn't buy it on digital platforms by itself. You had to buy the digital version of both things, and they didn't put it out on its own until mid-2017. Mid so it was a good nine months later. So the initial hype had already died for this thing. Uh, the advertisements for it were great, but you know when you get that gut punch and you're like, and you gotta buy the game you really don't want to buy, um, which at the time had the most disliked video on YouTube, was Infinite Warfare. People did not like that game, uh, or they didn't want it. So, it's big gut punch, very annoying. Uh, so it was released for, I believe it was, it started off at $40. Uh, I might be wrong, it might have been $60. Um, but this was released as a standalone product, uh, digitally and physical, for somewhere in that neck of the woods. Um, I purchased it for the Xbox One. I bought it for $20 off of Amazon, actually. Um, new, thankfully. <laughs> um, but the other things on top of that, before I actually get into the cool meat and potatoes, uh, Activision still fucking hates you as a, as a consumer because they then, after release, well, one, it launched pretty rough. Uh, it wasn't broken, but it was very unpolished. The I believe it was about a month after initial release was when like the big patch happened that kind of fixed it. So it didn't launch cleanly. Um, and then after, I believe, six months or so of the game being out, they started adding things into its multiplayer mode, which is a full remaster of the original's multiplayer mode. They started adding in loot boxes and new guns from other games into the goddamn multiplayer, which completely, one, fucked the gameplay loop and, like, just all of the stuff. This was still amidst Call of Duty really leaning into loot boxes, which they would not die down until, like, two years ago. <laughs> it was pretty recently they stopped. I think it was, um... What was the 2018 game? It was before the new Modern Warfare. 2018, 2018. World War 
Yes, World War II. Yeah, World War II was fucking egregious. I know because I bought it like an idiot. Um, that was the last one to have like a serious loot box system. So there was like a good five games. We have become our dads, memorizing the order of all forty-two James Bond movies, but with Call of Duty instead. Sure. Um, that is what we have become. Something like that. Uh, if only he could see me now. Be turning over in his grave or something. I don't know. He's not dead. Uh, not dead yet. Give me 10 minutes. Um, they just, they really screwed it up after release. They, one, charged extra money for the remastered map packs. So, uh, for the, the multiplayer of Modern, uh, of Call of Duty 4 has, uh, I believe it's a $15 map pack for just, it's like five maps. Nothing crazy. Normal for the time. Good maps. The remastered version was like $20. It was more. And the original version still hasn't dropped in price since release. So if you want to play them on a dead game, you still have to pay full price. It's insane. With servers that are hacked to shit. Yes. So that just stacking on top of it to play the same maps, you would think being like what most remasters do. They add in all the DLC or most of it, the the final bits. That's what even uh, the last mis- remastered for the, the PlayStation 4 did was... Because it had launched like six months before the console came out, they just threw the DLC packs in and said, here you go, and that's it. Um, so big L, and there's just the multiplayer is borderline insufferable now. The quality of the multiplayer when you've removed the loot boxes and the, mon- the just the monetization and the new weapons is really good. It's a full recreation of the, the multiplayer. It has a very similar user interface, and the, the weapons are extremely high-quality versions. They've been updated it's great. It plays well until people whip out a gun from like four games later. It's annoying. Um, so the actual meat and potatoes of Modern Warfare Remastered. Holy fucking shit, dude. It's so good. So technically speaking, um, they didn't build it from the ground up. It is not a remake, but they may as well have with how much effort they put into um, upping the polygon count on all of the character models and like tailoring the hit boxes, which is my biggest... I think it's the biggest thing that helps the game age better, other than, uh, like, environmental factors. The fact that um, people, like, say when you stack up on a door to breach, people don't overlap so much, and they don't get in the way of you firing and make you either, one, commit friendly fire, which then the level typically boots you for, or you just kill your teammates, who are very useful. Um, That's a real lifesaver like the game actually performs like it's supposed to you don't have to be so cautious about just people being too close together and the game freaking out and whatever you shooting air but you start killing people you know um so that's a serious improvement i believe is merely my belief i have no evidence for this i think they turned up the speed for all of the ai characters just a tiny little bit in terms of movement because i found it less may just be the hitboxes, but I found it a lot less frustrating when I would get stuck behind people, like going up a stairwell or going through a breach door. It just felt like I was running into a wall a lot less. Um, they're still AI characters, and they're still, they still move slower than the player for some fucking reason. I've never understood why games do that, ever. Um, but it plays a lot smoother that way. Uh, graphically speaking, um, the lighting engine got an overhaul. There are new particle effects. And I think almost every texture is completely remade. I don't think it's just upping the textures. Um, the textures. Like, it's not just we poured it over the most expensive PC version. 
So it's not a remake because they didn't rebuild the gameplay loop, but like almost everything else is built from scratch. The sound design is god tier. They changed the whole thing. That I will give them so much credit for. The sound design was almost entirely overhauled. Um, I don't know if they re-recorded lines or something, but the dialogue has been cleaned up so much and improved. It's been, um, the different levels of audio waves have been squeaked around, just fucked around with, so it comes through clearer, but it's also not overpowering. It's easier to hear through combat noises. The audio balancing is better. The gun noises, I swear to God, are all brand spanking new. They're all, like, real recordings. They, they went just ah, fuck it, let's just go record an M14. Um, And it sounds so good. Everything is so punchy and impactful, but it doesn't overpower the the audio space. You can still hear the music, you can still hear dialogue. It's just, it feels a lot less... What? It's smooth. It's The edges are smoother. It doesn't come in... The the, the audio clips don't start and stop so abruptly. You know, if you have an, an ear for audio, you can usually tell, especially when something's older, it's a little... Not chirpy, but like kind of clippy sometimes, um, especially with like gunfire noises that are really repetitive. They do come across so much better. They're edited a lot better and they're impacted by the environment a lot clearer. So say you're shooting inside versus outside or inside a metal container versus outside in the woods or into the water. The original game had those types of details, but they were a lot muddier because the audio quality had to be lower because of like the size of the disc and the processing power. Now, it sounds so delicious. I'd swear there's hundreds of variants of just one shot getting fired out of one gun. Like the amount of effort they put in they put into the audio design is disgusting. Um I believe the soundtrack is just updated with general polish. Um sounds equally as good. Um, nothing else has really changed. The collectibles are still reasonable. I believe they were placed slightly differently. Um, they're in the same locations, generally speaking, but I think they're placed in, like, better spots. So say it's in the same room, but instead of it being on the bed, it's on the dresser, or, like, something like that. There's a little bit less of the Intel laptops that are, like, on the floor, or whatever. Um, sometimes they're, like, on a crate in front of a shitter, which is funny. Both versions of the game have that, but, like, it feels like they, they kept the same locations, so if you remember them, you remember where they are, but they look better. They fit in with the world a little bit more instead of it being such a standout. Holy shit, that's a bright white screen in a dark room. I think that's an Intel laptop. I should go get it. What was your best time on on the, the mock-up? Ooh, 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 ooh. Fun fact. I didn't realize until this playthrough of the original Call of Duty 4. It's a mock-up of the mission you go play. I'm so fucking dumb. I've played it nearly a dozen times, and it's like, how did I not realize that? Not just because it's physically the same, but, like, they say it. They're in the middle of getting prepared for the mission. I'm so dumb. I'm so dumb. I believe my current time on Remaster, which I've been playing a little bit more because it's a bit more of a pleasant experience, is 17, I believe. So you the there's an achievement for beating, I believe it's Gaz's record is like 19.1. Uh, there is also an achievement for uh, beating the uh, Infinity Ward's high like fastest employee runtime, which at the I'm sure is faster now, but it was it's like 15.2 or something. I haven't gotten that one yet. Um, fun it was really fun going back for me because I played through that so much originally. It's just it's fun. It's a nice little mock-up. It's a quick little thing. You get used to the gameplay loop. 
um, and how the game controls. But when I went back and did it on remaster, I it took my first run through was sorry my first retry on Modern Warfare the original version was really bad. It was like forty seconds because I just wasn't used to how the game played. It's been so long, three four years maybe. And then on my second run through, it was like twenty. <laughs> it was such a night and day. As soon as I got used to the controls, my brain went into monkey mode. It was really, really cool. I don't have that trophy, so I don't know what time I have, but I haven't beaten the 19 seconds. Ah, you suck. Um, yeah. yeah. I th- it also, I believe, um, in multi- in Remaster, they have a multiplier for, um, a- I believe it's accuracy or something. There's additional elements that make your time a little bit easier to achieve because there there's like bonuses. Very small, but they do help. Mm. User interface for uh, Remaster is basically just an improvement upon the original. It is a... Simple, straightforward, look at the character model in the middle of the screen, and on the left side, they're just little green boxes you navigate. It's simple, it up, it, it, it's responsive. Um, it's really funny because it has a prompt to go play Infinite Warfare, which is great. So it'll send you to the shop page to go buy it. Um, that link is still active. Just I found a lot of comedy in that. Um, the It loads up levels quickly. The save file system is better than previously. It just It seems more consistent at acknowledging my checkpoints. Um, also a lot of games from the mid two thousands have this really bad habit of like, if you didn't finish a level and then you go back and then finish it again, like you hit the resume button, sometimes you won't, the achievements won't pop for some fucking reason. Um, I, the remaster doesn't have that problem because it, it, one, it has quick play through Xbox. So if I turn my Xbox off and I turn it back on, I will, it'll load the game back up. It has the, the quick replay feature. So I just go immediately goes, goes back to the game. I don't know how they do that. It's so cool. I love it. Uh, total playtime for both versions was roughly 20 hours to get all Intel items. Um, I remember about 50% of them, so I would whip out a guide every once in a while just to double check, uh, as well as the like level-specific achievements. So say, um, fucking save a villager in this one level or like whatever. All those sorts of stuff. Uh, Destroy they... eight enemy helicopters in heat. Right. Those ones I had to go look, look up just to double check to make sure I remembered what I was doing. Something I appreciate about Remaster is it has an almost identical achievement list to the original game. There's a few that are a little different uh, because of like necessary gameplay changes, and they remove a few really redundant ones. I think they condense the... You played this on veteran, you know, like there's a veteran achievement, but for most of the levels, they like condense it down. So it's like you have to play three levels on veteran to get the achievement or whatever. Um, I think they condense them more so they had more room for specific ones because there's just a few extra achievements. Like um, there's a, a desert eagle hidden in the first level, stuff like that. Uh, just a few little fun tidbits. So yeah, it was about 20 hours for the whole thing each, for each one. So total for all of my games each month. 35 to 40 hours. Um, the story in and of itself is like sub 10 if you're just playing through. I played it on Veteran, which is why it took 20 hours. I, I don't understand what you're talking about. I, I genuinely think Veteran is actually quite fair for this game. It's not forgiving at all. Um, hardened is what I will do if I want to just play the story. Below that is way too easy um, because it's Call of Duty. It's muscle memory. You know, I've played... 10 of the 15 games or whatever. The level where you start out on the overpass, like all foggy brained. Yes. That is the level that broke me on veteran. I think you're dumb. Um, like it would be all foggy brain and dead. 
I think the thing with with playing on veteran that is more agitating is it's the moments where you do need to push past it like an infinite enemy generator because yep. there are a handful of moments where it's like the game is telling you need to push past this door or they're gonna keep going like it's not gonna stop so you can't just sit there and camp it out until they're all done that so that does get frustrating I certainly died a lot but. The, I believe there's additional checkpoints as well in the remastered version, so it doesn't reset you 10 minutes of progress every time you fucking die. It's like two to five minutes, I think, roughly. Um, I bought, like I said, 20 bucks. So fucking worth it. I'm going to go back and wrap up a few more achievements I missed. Um, maybe try to squeeze into some multiplayer and hope it is playable without those damn new guns. I really want to go back to that because I played that multiplayer for a bit when it came out. It's great. It's just all the new guns and stuff just really fucked it up. Um, very good. One of the best remasters I've played. It has very few new issues. Like, yeah. probably none. Other than the stuff that the publisher did to fuck it up. The the development-wise, it's easily the the preferred version. There is no... You know, qualms. Like, say, with the new fucking, like, Last of Us version, there might be some people who are like, I don't like the the fact that they use the models from the second game. Like, whatever. Like, there's a small preferential difference. This is easily the superior version. It plays smoother. It's faster. Uh, it's more environment. It's more um, atmospheric. It adds... So, I don't know how I forgot. That's the thing I forgot. It adds so much fucking shit. Like, during the tutorial level, when you walk outside to go run across base, there's, mm -hmm. like, nothing there. There's, like, one truck and no people. In the remastered version, there's, like, 400 fucking soldiers doing drills, like, 10 helicopters. It's intense. All kinds of uh, test areas to teach you how to throw grenades and stuff. Yes, they add in so much more uh, life to the game. They can't change where the barriers are, but they can sure as hell make the truck that is the barrier look a lot better. It doesn't, so it doesn't look so gamified. Where uh, the original's like a nine, and the remaster is like a nine point five. I, I love the story. I right. know, I know it's simple as shit, but like this game is fucking great. That is the show. <sighs> All two hours of it. Oh. Thank you for listening. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you, Mr. Poopy Butthole. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, we would like to thank our patrons. Yes. I said it right. Ah. Sag my nuts. Jeff Lawrence and Caitlin support the show. They keep us going. They give us hope to make another show. Just enough to get through the week. Not to alleviate my existential depression, but enough yeah, no, no. to make sure I get to recording. Yeah. Just, yes. Just, just enough cares to be like, I got to have something to talk about this weekend. Yes. Because that's coming quick. True, true. Um, if you want to become a patron, just to, like Jeff Lawrence and Caitlin, go to patreon.com forward slash Dime Comic Bros Network. We have a bunch of different tiers. They were recently reworked by yours truly. Wow. Um, and they're going to be reworked again, I'm sure. A little bit, yeah. Um, just the a lot of the stuff you'd expect from a, a Patreon. Uh, you get your name mentioned, social media following. There's sketches, sketches and commissions by Colin at different tiers. Uh, all sorts of fun stuff like that. You get exclusive access to Dime Comic Bros and Dime Gaming Bros Happy Hour, where we sit, we talk about random bullshit. Sometimes it's Superman Trunks discourse. Sometimes it's beer. Sometimes it's girls. You never know. It's just all over the place. 
You never Sometimes know. it's beer because of girls. True. Uh, so that's just a little segment we toss in that's exclusive to our Patreon. You also get early access to this show as well as our primary podcast, Dime Comic Bros, uh, a few days early, whenever humanly possible. So you get, you, you're cool. You get to listen to us as soon as Jacob's done editing. Um, so go to, go to patreon.com forward slash Dime Comic Bros. Go to our Twitter and Instagram and our YouTube community tab for updates. We have uh, a big thank you to Jetpack Comics and Games in downtown Rochester, New Hampshire. They have comics and games and cool employees that will help you find comics and games. I was so close to buying a fucking 2DS that they have there. Ooh. They have the the Zelda one. Mm-hmm. One I like the 2DS because I got big hands. Yeah. It's got that Game Boy Advance vibe to yeah. it. Um and it was like 180 bucks, which nice. is reasonable for that one. And also most of them. I, I was so close. Thankfully, I didn't. I went and bought like three omnibus. Omnibus. How do you even say it without saying the slur anymore? I got to They're all. It's. I always say omnibusy. I say omnibusy in front of my parents. I need help. Someone send help. Send soap, please. Um, omnibus. Omnibus. It doesn't sound it's right. It's like a school bus. It doesn't sound but right. But it's an omni. Omnibus. It doesn't sound right. You look like Omni-man. you're biting something off when you say omnibus. I got a big mouth. What can I say? You know what they say about big mouths? Big omnibusy. 